How many of you can guess what book of the Bible we're going to be in today? All right, bonus points if you know the answer. Turn to Isaiah if you have a Bible. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have one with you, we'll, we'll have the words on the screen as well. I love those videos. As I've been reading through the Bible this year with many of you, I've really found those, those videos to be so helpful and putting things into context. But I got to tell you, as a teacher, uh, it's a little intimidating to sit here and think, wow, that was a lot of information they communicated in eight minutes. And you're probably thinking, why? in 30 minutes do we leave with so little, you know, from, from the rest of you. So I guess if we just had an animated skill and all of that, but uh, no, those are great. And I hope that you've been enjoying and appreciating them as well. And if you have been following along with the Planted Bible Reading Plan, you may have noticed that when you finished 2 Kings this week, we skipped some of the books of the Bible, or we've been following them book by book. Uh, there was a bit of a jump. Now, we're going to come back to those that we've skipped, but the reason for that is that Isaiah, along with some of the other books that we're going to read next, books like Hosea and Joel, Amos, and others, uh, were prophets who lived during the days of First and Second Kings, all right? So keep that in mind, and you're going to kind of find their appropriate place as we look to those uh, in the coming weeks. And, and reading this way, uh, hopefully, will help us follow the story chronologically, and maybe in the end, uh, we'll maybe even make more sense of it uh, for you and for each of us. Because what happened at the end of Second Kings, as we saw here in the video, is that Babylon, all right, the empire of Babylon, uh, most of us think of that as uh, kind of modern day Iran, marched into Jerusalem, uh, tore down the walls of the city, they destroyed the temple, and most everyone uh, still living there were deported. And so they took them, they exiled them back to Babylon, and obviously this was devastating. Right, it's a pretty horrific time in Israel's history, and certainly for those living then, I mean, because it, it couldn't get much worse uh, than what had just happened for them. But while all of this were, was happening, there were, there were men, there were prophets like Isaiah who were speaking to the people, all right? Prophets who lived pre-exile, who were warning Israel of what was coming, what was about to happen. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be reading their stories, the stories of these prophets and others, so we can just get a fuller picture of what life was like uh, before the exile and even into the exile into Babylon. And we're going to hear from people like Isaiah. All right, and so if you, again, have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, real quick, the first five chapters of Isaiah uh, outline a vision that he received from God, and in that vision, he sees, Isaiah sees the downfall of Israel coming with things like famines and fires that Israel's going to eventually experience, but Isaiah saw something else too. I don't know if you caught this in your reading or not, but not just the horrific events, but also the reason for these events, as the, as the uh, video outlined. It was their idolatry. Jerry talked about this last week, the, the turning away from the Lord, all right? They, they turned their hearts, their eyes from God, and so uh, this was the reason for these events. And so Isaiah saw a nation that turned its eyes, turned its back on God, and so part of his assurance from God was, was the assurance of, of what could happen if the people turned turned their hearts back to him again. But sadly, in this very same vision, Isaiah also realizes that the people won't turn their hearts and eyes back to God. And because of that, their cities will be destroyed and things are going to get even more difficult for them. We have a dog in our house. Our dog, Louie, is 12 years old. 
Uh, he's got three teeth left, and he can't hear anymore either, but he's still got a lot of energy. He really does. Great dog, and uh, he sleeps in the basement of our house, so we got a nice basement down there and a cage that he sleeps in, and so every morning, you got to go down the stairs. You got to get Louie out of his cage, and I kid you not, every morning is like Christmas morning for Louie. He sprints out of the cage. He does some laps around the basement. He races up the stairs, and then he does some laps around the first floor where most of our first floors lamp so you can hear him pitter-pattering all over the place. Well, then we, you know, we let him out the slider door. He goes outside. Well, this past Wednesday, uh, remember the day we got it snowed? Remember that? Remember that horrific day this past week when it snowed on top of all of our flowers? Well, Jenny, my wife, she went down to the basement. She let Louie out, same drill, did his laps, raced up the stairs. He's running around the first floor. She went to let him out the slider. I kid you not, this is the truth. He walked to the door never done this before, turned around, ran back to the stairs, went back down to the basement and went into his cage, all right? He did, I'm not kidding you. Like my wife just came in laughing saying, you'll never believe what the dog just did. Like, do you ever wake up like that in the morning? Like, if you ever have some mornings, maybe Wednesday morning where you look out the window and think, I'm going back to bed, right? Uh, over this past year and a half, man, you ha have you had some mornings? You know, where you've, you woke up, looked out the window, thought about, oh, yeah, we're still living in all of this, and thought, you know what, I'm just going to go back to bed. It's been discouraging, right? This past year's been a, a frustrating, challenging year. Um, I don't think this is an overreach. Our situation isn't much different than Israel's. Uh, things like sin and evil and rebellion have wreaked havoc on our country and in our world. And while there are certainly differences between Israel back then and America right now, the fact is that we've turned our hearts and our eyes from God too. Uh, we've followed our own paths. We've rebelled and pursued our own uh, selfish ways uh, uh, and we're living with the consequences. But, but I want you to know that it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving us. Uh, that God has stopped loving you. I mean, it doesn't mean that he's given up. Uh, it certainly doesn't mean that he's lost control. I mean, he, our God still has a great plan. Our, our God has a great plan for you. Uh, he's got an incredible plan for our church uh, in this world. And, and, and that should serve as a reminder for us. It should serve as just a reminder for us as Christians that we're here for a reason. Like God has us on this planet for a reason. Like our church has a point. You are not here just doing time, trying to survive. Like we are here for a great and for an eternal reason. We're here to serve Jesus. That's who we serve. We serve Christ in this world. And he's the only one that can heal our lives. He's the only one that can heal our world. And, and that's the message uh, that's been given to us and, and the news that we have. It's why our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And what I pray that we might see today is that as God had a specific assignment for Isaiah, that you and I that will be reminded that he's got a specific assignment uh, for you and for me too. And Isaiah, he had a choice to make. He had a choice whether to say yes or to say no to God. You and I have a choice too. Every single day, every week, in every circumstance, in every conversation, in every decision that we make, every single one of us has a decision to say yes or no to God. Are you making it a habit to saying yes to the creator of all things?
All right, the first five chapters of Isaiah describe this vision again that Isaiah received from God. Chapter six is where the story gets pretty personal, and uh, this is where we're going to focus our time today. Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse one. Here's what we read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, all right? The writer here wants us to know that the king is dead and not Elvis, all right? We're not talking about Elvis, or we're talking about Uzziah, and historians date his death somewhere around 740 BC, and history suggests that he was a pretty good king. Uh, in fact, Second Chronicles states that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but that doesn't mean that he was perfect either. Uh, unfortunately, his pride got in the way, and over time, he's going to grow less and less dependent on God. And we also know that Uzziah was king for 52 years. Now, put that into perspective for just a moment. In the last 52 years, America has had 10 presidents. Over the course of 52 years, Judah, or the southern kingdom of Israel, had one king, Uzziah. All right, that's quite a difference. And if you and I think transitioning a new president every four years or so is hard, like imagine how hard and emotional it is, all right, when you, when you do it, you know, maybe once a generation or even less. And so there was this feeling of security and familiarity in Judah that was disrupted when Uzziah died. And add to it, the present challenges of the nation were becoming more and more obvious. There was lots of questions about the future. There were growing fears about aggressive enemy nations that might eventually attack. And so into that uncertainty comes Isaiah. And remember, he's already been given this vision of a fallen nation and how they're going to be taken captive by their enemy. And so Uzziah dies. And as any godly person does, Isaiah is going to the temple. All right. He made it a regular practice to go to the temple, to be alone with the Lord. And that's where he is in Isaiah chapter six, verse one. Again, we read in the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah said this, I saw the Lord. All right, in our difficult moments, in our pain, in our frustrations, in our uncertainty, in our anxiety, in the middle of the chaos, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He goes on to describe that. Verse two, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at that sound, at the sound of their voices, notice the details here, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Can you imagine an encounter like that? Like, can you imagine experiencing God in such a way? What if when you walked in this door this morning, you didn't see the band here on stage, but this whole room was filled, you know, with the train of the robe of our God. My guess is that some of you would have dropped your coffee, all right? You would have done that. You'd have spilled your coffee and then you'd have gone directly to the restroom, all right? Because, you know, that's the response. Notice, again, the text says that the train of his robe filled the room, not just, not all of it but a portion of his robe. And then you've got these bizarre creatures, each with six wings, and they're crying out, holy, 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 all while the building, building shakes. Some of you, you know, you think about a moment like that, experiencing a moment like that, and you, you'd be like, no, thank you, right? I, I want nothing to do. That sounds terrifying. Others of you, we might look at that and think, you know, I'd love to see that. Some of you might say today, you know what? I might believe if I could have an encounter with God like that. Or, or I might take this a little more seriously if I could experience God in such a personal, powerful way. I think it's fair to say that most every one of us 
craves a genuine personal encounter with God, but please take note of Isaiah's response because it's extremely important. Look at what, look at what happens to him, verse 5. He responds, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The word woe is a critical word here. Uh, It's a word that is used to express grief or regret or incredible distress in the moment. It's Isaiah's way of saying, you know what, that I'm terrified. Like, I mean, at the sight of God, this personal encounter of God, I, I am ruined. I have seen with my own eyes. I've seen with God, and I will never again be the same person. It's significant because Isaiah was considered to be one of the most holiest, the holiest men in all of Israel. But compared to God, nothing. He is nothing compared to God. And in this moment, all of his self-esteem was shattered. In a brief moment, he was completely exposed and reminded that God isn't just holy. He isn't even holy, holy, but he is the Lord God Almighty who is holy, holy, holy. A quick little note about the Hebrew language here. Repetition is the way uh, you emphasize something that you're trying to describe. Like we might use bold type. We might use an exclamation point or something in our writing. The Hebrew equivalent is to repeat a word, all right? And not just twice here, but, but three times. In extreme cases, you say it three times. So, so to say holy means, yeah, he's holy. To say holy, holy means he's holier, but holy, holy, holy means holiest of all. There is nothing compared to him, nothing that even comes close. And and this vision causes Isaiah to be undone, you know, by the sheer holiness of God to the extent that he humbles himself immediately and realizes and confesses his sin before the Lord. Now, here's what's curious. That's exactly the kind of response that God was after for all of the people of Israel. I mean, God wants the whole nation to be moved like Isaiah so that they would see and understand their sin, that they would turn from their sin and repent and come back to God. And you want to know something? It's the same thing he wants from you and me too. It's the same thing he wants you and I to experience and realize today. It's the same thing he wants us to encounter each and every day. God wants to radically shape and change your life once a day, every day, forever in everything that we do. And that's true of you if you're not a Christian. You know, for some of you today that might say, you know what, I'm not a Christ follower. Here's what I want you to know. Our, our, the, the scriptures teach our God is a patient God. He is a patient, loving, and compassionate God. 2 Peter 3 says that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But it's important that we remember that we can't confuse his patience with his tolerance. All right, we can't confuse his patience with his tolerance because while he's a patient God, he is also a holy, holy, holy God. And while his desire is to spend eternity with you, beginning today, for all of eternity, All right, he cannot peacefully coexist with sin and disobedience. And for those of you here today that have never surrendered your life to the Lord, he's not gonna wait forever. I mean, he's not gonna wait forever for any of us. Like you and I get one life in this world. We get one time around. And the most important decision that you will ever make before you die is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not gonna get a chance to do that after you die. 
all right, after we enter into eternity. And here's something that's true of you if you are a Christian. Like if we as Christians fail to see and recognize God for who he really is in all of his perfection and all of his holiness, like we're never gonna see sin and understand our personal sin for what it is and what it's doing to us and what it's doing in this world. Like we might think too highly of ourselves if we don't see how great God is, how holy he is, and recognize how destructive our sin can be I mean, God, God won't be able to use us to the extent that he desires. If we can't see these things, if we won't humble ourselves, he can't use us to the extent that he desires. And you know what? Probably the degree that many of us desire as well. But here's the good news. That's why Jesus is a game changer. That's why our Savior Christ is a game changer. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life that no one, of us, no, no one of us could ever live. And he gave his life as a sacrifice. And he paid the price for us when he gave his life on the cross. And God raised him from the dead. And he gave him life so that we could have life too. He gave him life so that we could have hope. And one of the beautiful things about trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior once and every day and for always is that our sins are forgiven. That's incredible. All right, that's incredible, but good news is that when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he also gives us Christ's righteousness. And try getting your mind around that. The way I like to basically say it is that when God sees you, he really sees Christ in you. He no longer sees you on your own, but he sees Christ in you. He sees the power of Jesus in you. Add to it, when you trust Christ, God puts his very presence in your life through the Holy Spirit so that we never have to walk through life on our own ever again. Have you trusted Christ? It's a yes or no question. Have you, ever, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if so, let me ask you this. Are you, are you allowing the presence of God and his redeeming work in you to radically shape your life each day? Isaiah's response to God is so important. Like He recognized God's holiness and perfection. He humbled himself and experienced the power of God's forgiveness, and that's pivotal for what happens next. Because again, remember, Isaiah's already received this vision of a nation, all right, that's gonna be carried into exile. He's also seen the solution. He's seen the solution to the coming problem that it's for people to confess their sins, to repent from their wicked ways, and to turn back to God. And so then God says this to Isaiah, skipping over to verse eight. Isaiah heard a voice from the Lord saying this. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God, God basically says, you know what? Someone needs to go tell the people what's happening. Tell them what's coming. Basically, I've got an assignment. It's not easy. Who will go for me? Now, if I'm in Isaiah's shoes, I'm like, no way, right? I don't wanna go down that road. I mean, you're not sending me. Like, I just told you I'm sinful. I just told you I'm ruined. I've got unclean lips. Like, there's no way that God could use my unclean lips to tell these hard-hearted people to turn their lives around. But how does Isaiah respond to this powerful, life-changing encounter and invitation from God? Note his words and his response. Isaiah says, here I am, am I. Send me. Here am I, send me. Genesis Church, how can, you, how can you possibly say no? How can we possibly say no to God? 
Like when you encounter God, when you see him for truly, for who he truly is, like when you experience his powerful, life-changing, redeeming work in your life, like please tell me how any of us can possibly say no to his invitation to spend the rest of your life serving him in this world. You can't. Like we can't. And so we, uh, we decided to call this message today just the powerful, uh, power of a simple yes because in this story and others like it, you know, what we see is that God is able. He is able to work through men and women and students and children who will humble themselves each and every day and say yes to him, even to difficult and to challenging tasks that stand before us. And Isaiah is not the first. I mean, over and over again in Scripture, we see God repeatedly working through men and women who humbled themselves, set aside their own interests, and said yes to him, much more really than we see qualified, confident people, talented people responding to him. Think about some of those individuals. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was old, Jacob was a coward, Moses had a stuttering problem, Rahab was a prostitute, Gideon lacked faith, Hannah couldn't have children, David was an adulterer. What they have in common, God called and they said, they said yes. They humbled themselves, they put aside their own selfish needs and they said yes to God. They, they understood who they were as much as they realized who they weren't and more importantly, they saw God for who he is our holy, holy, holy God. And when you see God for who he really is, like you can't help but say yes to him. And because of their stories, because of their diversity and backgrounds and the variety of ways in, in which God used them to bring glory to himself, here's a conclusion I've come to that I wanted to share with you. And it's just this, that, that God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Like God will provide the ability He's just looking for people like you and me to say, I'm available. Here I am, God. You can use me. God can use anyone. I'm a testimony of that. I mean, I grew up around the church, and um, I, I, I look back. I'm grateful for Sunday school teachers. I'm grateful for youth leaders. I'm grateful for friends uh, of my parents that, that encouraged me over the years that would look into my life and say, you know what, God's going to use you, Paul. And, and talk to me about being a pastor. I rejected that for a long time. Like I had no desire to be a pastor. And then went to college, and God worked through that with me. And what do you know? I ended up in ministry. And I'll just tell you, my next rejection is I'm, I'm never going to lead a church. And so I, I spent the first eight years of ministry just saying, you know what, I am fine to work at a church, but I don't need to be the lead guy. And I, well, the Lord just started pushing me in that direction. And well, I guess Genesis was desperate enough. You know, the only guy they could find, you know, 13 years ago was this guy named Paul. But Jenny and I, we willingly came to Genesis. Like we believe that this is where the Lord was calling us to come and to serve. We said, you know, we want to spend, we want to spend the rest of our lives here uh, in this church family. And I'm amazed, maybe you are too, I'm amazed over and over of just how God's used me. Like I'm a blue collar scholar at best. I heard somebody uh, use that term one time and like, that's me. Like, you know, uh, um, but coming to Genesis, watching what the Lord's done here through a great staff, through great, faithful, amazing people like you. You know, many people have come to Christ over the 18 years now of Genesis Church. Tens of thousands of dollars have been given away, invested in our community and around the world. We launched this greater vision last year, make disciples, reach our cities, change the world. And then last year happened. That was a little frustrating. That was a little discouraging uh, for all sorts of reasons, not just for greater. Uh, 
If I could be candid with you, I've had some moments over the past year where I've looked out the window and thought, I'm going back to bed. (laughs) I want to find something else to do, God. This is hard. This is so hard. But I'm not done. I'm not giving up. I am trusting the Lord like many of you have said. You know what we're trusting the Lord? We're going to faithfully serve the Lord together, whatever he calls us to do, because Christ died for us. He's given us life. He's given us hope. Like our home is in heaven. And you and I, we're going to need some encouragement along the way, but we're going to make it our goal to spend the rest of our days serving Jesus in this world as individuals and as a church because God can use anyone, any one of us that will deny ourselves, say yes to him, if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll trust him, if we'll say yes to him, he can use each and every one of us for his greater kingdom work. How are you saying yes to God right now? How are you saying yes to him now more than ever? He needs his people. He needs his church. You know, he, he wants to shine through us so that others might find their way back to him. Let's get back to saying yes to God. Let me ask you this question. This one's for you. What what is God asking you to do right now? Uh, What's he speaking to you in those quiet times? What's he speaking to you through your thoughts and and through others? Are you saying yes to him? Are you saying no to him? And if not, like, why not? I mean, is it because it's hard? I mean, it could be. I mean, imagine being Isaiah. Take, take a look at what the author R.C. Sproul said about Isaiah and about the prophets and their role and their service. Uh, he writes this. He says, the prophet in the Old Testament was a lonely man. He was a rugged individualist singled out by God for a painful task. He served as a prosecuting attorney of sorts, the appointed spokesman of the supreme judge of heaven and earth to bring suit against those who had sinned against the bench. That sounds like a pretty hard job to me. But... Uh, the rest of Isaiah's story, you know. I mean, immediately after the Lord calls him and he, you know, God says, who shall we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then this happens real quick. God says, you know, you're going to tell people the message, all right? You're going to do the work, but they're not going to respond. You're, you're going to show them, but they're not going to really see it. Basically, God said to him, your work is going to appear to be a failure. I mean, like, the lack of response is going to feel like is going to feel like failure, but it's revealing when you think about it. It's revealing God's call, Isaiah's response, that God is far more interested in our faithfulness than He is in, in our success or your success. Like as a church, Genesis, God is far more interested in our faithfulness than He is in our success. And so maybe you're not saying yes to something from God because it seems too hard or because it seems inconvenient or because of the timing. Or you'd say, you know what, the timing just isn't right. But God is able to do amazing things through people who say yes to Him. Let me tell you one story before we close. Uh, tell you about a friend of mine named Danielle. You know Danielle. Danielle served here at our Carmel campus for quite a while, serving out of our Noblesville campus now. She's been on staff at Genesis uh, for over eight years. A few years ago, she saw a video of a family in our church who were serving through safe families. And she heard a word from the Lord, you know, that you need to do that. You need to get involved in adoption and, and fostering, and, uh, and you're going to be a foster parent. And so Danielle started praying about that, and she was living in an apartment at the time and living with a friend, and that friend moved away. And Danielle, you know, maybe could have thought to herself, well, you know, I'll wait till I'm married. I'll wait till I finally get my own place. But she bought a condo, and instead of waiting for all those things, instead of putting it off any longer, she said yes to God. 
And she has been fostering now for four years, has blessed four kids, and had the privilege of caring for so many more. Danielle's availability was more important than her ability. What about you today? What is God asking of you? Uh, Maybe he's waiting for you to say yes to something like adoption or fostering. Uh, maybe he's waiting for you to say yes to the, to the kingdom work that you put on hold, you know, when the pandemic started. Uh, maybe he's got bigger plans for you, for your kid's baseball team. Like you thought you volunteered just to coach, but God's got something so much more. Maybe, maybe there are volunteer needs right now at your children's school and you're part of the solution. God's just waiting for you to say yes. Uh, You've got neighbors who need the Lord. You've got a small group of people potentially who are just waiting for you to say yes to start leading again. Maybe maybe God's waiting for you to say yes to serve with our kids or with our students. Maybe he's waiting for you to say yes to get back to reading your Bible each day again. Maybe, Maybe God's asking some of you to come back to church and be back here regularly. Maybe he's urging you to make a greater commitment to Genesis He could be asking you to forgive someone. Maybe it's time for some of you to say yes and surrender your life to the Lord. If God has brought something to you, say yes. You may not feel qualified, but if God's calling you, you're qualified. Because again, God doesn't need our abilities. He needs our availability. And he's looking for men and women and students that will say yes him like imagine what would happen imagine what could happen in your life if you made it a regular daily practice to say yes to the lord and what could god do through our church if every single one of us made it a regular daily practice to say yes to him you know when jesus was nearing the end of his life as he was hours away from being betrayed beaten and then hung on a cross to die Uh, The scriptures describe his prayer and the sweat like blood that just poured from his pores in Luke 22, 42, where he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not sure I have what it takes to do this, but Father, if you ask me, I will. Aren't you glad that Jesus said yes to his father? that he said yes to him and that through it you and I are made right and whole and can be in relationship with him. Will you pray with me? And as we pray, I just want to pray for that thing that God might be asking of you. And at the same time, if you don't know what that is yet, I want to give you just a minute of space to make room for God to speak to you and Maybe you need to find a place in the room even for the rest of the service here and just pray and open up your heart to him. What's it mean for you to say yes to the Lord today? What does he have for you? What's he asking of you right now? God, we want to, we want to be faithful. We, we want to be men and women and students and kids that make it a regular practice each day to say yes to you because Jesus said yes to us and yes for us. Father, you've given us life. You've given us hope and a reason to live in this world. And we want to make it our habit to spend every day for the rest of our lives saying yes to you. Move in us, Lord. 
move in us, move in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.